This weekend at Calvary Hills Baptist Church, we were blessed to have guest preacher John Stroop with us preaching in the Sunday morning service. John is from Freeway Ministries based in Springfield, Missouri. There are two books from John I'd like to recommend to you. The first is Stop Loving Your Kids to Death. It's about how not to enable our kids. The second is From the Pit to the Pulpit, and that is about his amazing life testimony being saved in a prison cell and becoming a preacher today. Uh, Both of those are available on Amazon. I'd also like to recommend to you his podcast, which is called One Broken Life, and that's on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So please check out John Stroop with Freeway Ministries. And without further ado, here's John preaching this past Sunday morning. My name is John Stroop. Um, I am a Christian, even though I look like I should be on a most wanted picture. Uh, God did save me and call me into the ministry. Um, We do do discipleship. My job is to plant ministries alongside local churches to run after people most run from. Um, I'm a ministry planter, and I also plant discipleship houses. I cre- we create, our ministry creates a way to create a transitional living uh, program for a year for men and women who need to learn how to live a Christ-centered life. We deal with addictions and, and things like that, uh, mentalities that come along with it. We help break the chains and create missionaries out of church members as well and so we've been doing that for 10 years full-time that's a little background we have a booth back there if you want to stop by and see some of our material and sign up for our newsletter I wrote a couple books one's called from the pit to the pulpit my claim to fame is it was endorsed by Warren Wearsby Uh, if you know him he's a hero of mine and he wrote me a letter back telling me how many times I misspelled his name in the book but he also gave me an endorsement And so it is on my wall in my office. And I also wrote a book on how not to enable your kids. And your loved one's called Stop Loving Your Kids to Death. And that's back there as well if you know someone struggling with enablement. Um, What an honor and a privilege it is to share your pulpit, Brother Jared. Thank you for trusting Jose, not knowing me, allowing me to be here. Thank you for Calvary Baptist Church, Calvary Hill Baptist Church, for loving our family and taking care of us like you have. Uh, Let's pray together. As we go over the word of God, Father, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity uh, to be here today. I know the only reason I'm here is because I have nothing to boast in. I can't boast in my preacher bloodline. I'm a first generation Christian. I cannot boast in my education today. I cannot boast in money. I cannot boast in anything but Christ. No flesh shall glory in your presence. And this morning, Lord, I pray that you help me. Preach your word with authority from heaven. I pray, God, that if I say anything that's contrary to Scripture, that you'd help me, you would bite my tongue. You help me not add anything to the text or take anything from it. And today, God, I'm looking for one person. I know what you can do through one person, Lord, who will surrender, God, to get uncomfortable for Jesus, who will surrender their family, who will surrender their life who will surrender their finances and their time to being fully obedient to you and doing whatever you call them to do, going anywhere, any place, any time for the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God, help me stay out of your way. I pray nobody would leave this place saying, what a good preacher. They'd leave this place saying, what a good God. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in Acts chapter 9 today. The title of the message is Uncomfortable Christianity. I don't know if you could see those shoes but when I see that shoe I think of the beautiful feet of Paul have you ever wondered about that scripture in Romans 10 
How beautiful are the feet of those who carry the gospel of peace. Do you think Paul's feet were beautiful? I don't think they were. I think they were torn and rugged. What's more valuable than comfort today? I want you to think about that. The more comfortable something is, the more value it brings. They, they advertise the most comfortable pillow. The first thing you want to do is buy that pillow. Amen? I don't know if we have any blanket girls here today. Do we have any blanket girls? Will you admit that? You're a blanket girl. We got one in the back. Everybody else just lies in church. Amen? <laughs> My wife is a blanket girl. And I bought her a blanket for Mother's Day. It was the most comfortable soft blanket I've ever felt in my life. I bought that for her, gave that to her as a gift, and she's greedy with her blanket, amen? She goes home, it's her blanket, nobody else's blanket. I've been poor my whole life. I grew up in prison visiting rooms. Um, I'd go see one brother on Sunday and one brother on Saturday, and that was my childhood, and, and I never really had much. Uh, we were poor, didn't have an easy chair. I always wanted an easy chair, and so when I got established, uh, I bought an easy chair. You know, it's not, it doesn't heat up, cool down, anything like that. It's not real fancy, but I wanted one to sit in. And, and you sit in that thing, the first thing you do is fall asleep, amen? Because it is comfortable. But when you think of Christianity, does comfort come to mind? Here's some things that go with comfort. Enjoyment. I enjoy being a Christian. Physical comfort. A life of ease. Convenience. Free from struggle. No resistance. If I was going to ask you who made the biggest impact for Jesus Christ in the New Testament, who would it be? Paul. If you were in a prison chapel preaching to inmates, they would all say Paul. But today I don't want to talk to you about Paul so much. I want to talk to you about a man who never wrote any books of the Bible. I got saved in prison, so I, I didn't ra wasn't raised in church, but I've never heard of him about this person. But if it wasn't for this one man... We wouldn't have 13 books in the New Testament. If it wasn't for this one man, there wouldn't be an Apostle Paul. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 9, verse 10. We're going to stop at verse 19. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise, and go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he's praying. And he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come and lay his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard about this man. How many tattoos he has. I heard about his felony record. Lord, I've heard about this man, how much evil he's done at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. He, and and verse, verse 15, but the Lord said, go. He is a chosen vessel of mine. This is a Saul's calling, Paul's calling. He's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, the kings, and the children of Israel. I must show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, laying his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road by which you came, sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he, re he regained his sight. He arose and was baptized. Verse 19, and taking some food, 
he was strengthened. How would you feel if Jesus showed up at your door today and he said, I want you to go to Mosul, Iraq, and I want you to talk to the leader of ISIS because I have a message for him. Would you do it? That's what happened. Let's not kid ourselves today. Saul was a terrorist. He was killing people in the name of his God. Christians who called upon the name of the Lord. And a matter of fact, he had a search warrant for Ananias in his pocket. Ananias said he has authority from the chief priest to bind all to call upon your name here. He's come for us. As a matter of fact, he's hurt my friends. This is the guy you chose? Place yourself there for a minute. Your heart is beating through your chest. You're Ananias. You go all alone. That we know of. You knock on the door. There he is. Saul. But notice Ananias does something Jesus didn't tell him to do. He called him brother. Brother Saul. Let me ask you a question, church. What would have happened if they would have took a vote on this and formed a committee? Do you think they would have done it? I wish I could have seen the look on the stiff-necked Baptist face whenever they had one more come over for the potluck in verse 19. you think everybody was happy about the baptism of Saul when it was time for his baptism? So here's why I'm here today. Here's, my, here's, here's the whole purpose I'm here. I want to share what God has done. I want to share what God will do and what God continues to do. Don't miss this. Through one person who's willing to get uncomfortable for the Lord. And so the first thing I see in the text is that obedience is not about comfort. Listen, guys, church, deacon, obedience is never comfortable. Obedience is not about comfort. What does God bless according to his word? He blesses obedience. He blesses obedience. When I got saved in prison, I had a free on the inside prison Bible. I went to prison in 2008. I opened the Bible and guess what I looked for? Bad guys. Because I was one. I wanted to know what Jesus did with bad guys. Guess what I found? We're all bad. (laughs) Can you believe that? Romans chapter 3 says there's none good. Hey, that's great news to a bad guy. But that's terrible news to people who think they're good. Because there are no good people. Christ came to save sinners. Right? And so then I said, well, God, could you use a man like me? And I found out I was a poster child for Christianity according to the gospel. And not only did God use people like me, but guess what? He called them by name. So I read my Bible till it fell apart. No front, no back, no bind. I'm not boasting in that. I was hungry. I was passed through schools with straight F's. I was a behavior disorder kid, put in that classroom away from all the other kids. I flunked out of school. I never read books. But Jesus put a desire and a thirst in my heart for his word. I got on my knees and I said, God, use me like the dope used me. I was homeless. I was an IV user. I'm not proud of that. But that's where I come from. But God in his grace in a prison cell, he saved me. And, and so I began to read the Bible. 
And I had a cellmate named David Hupman, and I said, hey, uh, you, I need somebody to write. I, I just want to know the Lord. I want to know these questions. What's the book of Jasher? Who's the Queen of Sheba? Who's Saul in the Old Testament, New Testament? He's the same guy. And he gave me this man's address named Dewey Houston. He was a missionary. I thought, a missionary? That's awesome. I don't know what that is, right? I'm not a church person, but it sounds great. And so I lived off $5 a month in prison. Five postage stamps, a stick of deodorant, a stick of toothpaste. Uh, toothpaste. So I, I wrote Dewey Houston. I said, Mr. Houston, this is John Stroop. I'm in, I'm, I'm in prison in Fulton prison and, and, uh, and I have a desire to follow the Lord and I have all these questions and, and I wrote him a letter and guess what he did, guys? He wrote me back. And so I wrote him again and he wrote me back. And for 18 months, this old man who was a retired missionary from Togo in his 70s wrote me 18 months, never even met me. When I got out of prison, I called him. I said, Mr. Houston, this is John Stroop. Thank you for writing me 18 months and you never even met me. You know what he told me, church? I've been writing prisoners for 13 years. You're the first one to get out and thank me. 13 years? What if he would have quit? What if he would have quit? What if he would have quit in 10 years? What if he would have quit in 11? 12. Those people don't change, old man. You're wasting your time. Drug addicts stay drug addicts. Convicts stay convicts, preacher. He was criticized. Today, Dewey Houston's gone to be with the Lord in 2012. And one of those people that don't change is standing here today preaching the gospel because of an old man who never quit when he didn't get a thank you when he didn't get a hand clap, we took all of his prison ad addresses and letters and, and we started a prison ministry, writing prisoners all over the United States and it's called The Dewey. And it's got his picture in the corner and we send it to inmates all over the place. His ministry is thriving today because he never quit. He was obedient when it wasn't comfortable. Do you think it was comfortable for Ananias to obey the Lord and meet with Saul? No. He argued. He said, you don't know this guy. Are you kidding me? That guy, all those tattoos? You know what? He comes from the south side, Al. That guy. That guy. I chose him. Show me anywhere in the Bible where God uses people in a comfortable place. Show me where God says, okay, I'm going to use you and it's going to be real comfortable. No, he says, I'm going to put you in a place that only I can get you out of. That's walking with God. I think there's people in every church, and this one included, that are on the edge of something great God wants to do with your life, but you're going to miss it because you won't get uncomfortable. Abraham, leave where you're not from, knowing where you're not going, don't know where you're going, and take your wife with you? That's what happened to Abraham. He was a land of Ur, a Gentile, a moon worshiper. And God said, hey, leave where you're from. He said, Sarah, let's go. Have you ever tried to take your wife somewhere and move and not know where you're going? I don't know where we're going. God told me to go. Let's go. And God blessed him. Joseph, listening to his brothers argue in a pit, selling, killing, selling, killing. He went to prison for doing the right thing. And God used him. Moses had a stick and a promise and took on the most powerful man in the world. And God blessed him. Walking by faith is never, never comfortable. 
Obedience is never comfortable. Second point, walking by faith is never comfortable. Do you know what the most common words of a dying church are? Don't you miss this. Don't you say this in this church. We've never done it that way before. Stop saying that. You, you keep saying that, you're going to put goldfish in your baptismal because no one's going to be in it. We've never done it that way before. Jesus shares Saul's calling with Ananias and he says this. I'm paraphrasing. I'm going to call Saul to share the testimony of me in front of people and he's going to be uncomfortable for the rest of his life. How do you think Saul felt in verse 19 when he was sitting at the dinner table with the very person, people he came to lock up? See, God placed Paul, Saul in an uncomfortable position to test him, in my opinion. And God placed Ananias in an uncomfortable position to test him. Warren Wearsby says this, Temptations from the devil make sense, but testing from God don't. Sometimes walking by faith is doing the right thing when it doesn't add up or make sense. See, God used Dewey Houston to put me in a homeless shelter. 21 days after I got out of prison, this old man came and picked me up from a place called Cuba, Missouri, in the middle of nowhere, where they count the chickens and the goats with the population. He picked me up. He brought me to Springfield, Missouri, where we have our, our ministry today. And I spent my first night in a 70-year-old missionary's house. He brought me in the house, and his, old, his wife, who was also 70 years old, Looked at him, looked at me, looked back at him like he's going to chop us up and put us in the freezer, you crazy old man. She had no idea I was coming. I laid in that living room floor, Dewey Houston, looked at the ceiling fan, and I thought, God brought me here. The next day, he took me to a homeless shelter. The Salvation Army Harbor House is 636 North Boonville Avenue, and that's where I began my journey in Springfield, Missouri. I had hand-me-down clothes, a pair of shoes that said Pookie on them. Somebody named Pookie gave them to somebody who gave them to me. A prison Bible that had, was held together with speed stick. I'd get up early in the morning in a 20-man bay. I had, I, had a, I had a little light I kept under my pillow. I'd twist it, spread through my fingers, unlock my locker because you didn't dare turn the light on in the homeless shelter before 8 o'clock or you'd be in a fist fight. I'd open that locker and I'd open that light up and there was my commentary. There was my Bible and my notes. And I would take my Bible and my commentary and my notes to the chow hall where the broken Coke machine was. It had a C on it that shined on the table. And I could sit there in the dark and read my Bible and read my commentary and, read my, and, and take my notes. I was in a place I'd never been before. I had no idea and nothing about Springfield. I'd get on the city bus and I'd say, give me a job nobody wants. I'll do it better than anybody's ever done it. I know I'm a convicted crack dealer in a school zone. That's my charge. What's my charge? But give me a chance. And I was rejected. But then I got hired. I was a bell ringer for the Salvation Army. I was the happiest bell ringer you ever seen on the south side of Springfield with my pookie shoes on and my hand-me-down clothes. Amen? But it wasn't comfortable. But I walked by faith. I'm not promoting me. I'm just telling you what happened in my life. How God used that. And today, Freeway Ministries is a nonprofit, and we have three homes in Springfield, one in Nixa, Missouri, one in Ashgrove, Missouri, Marshfield, Missouri. There's a plant in Omaha, Nebraska, South Africa. These are men and women who live in the home, and guess what they do? They get up early and read their Bibles every morning. They get on the city bus like I did, and they have to put five job applications in a day until they get a job. 
The disciplines and principles that were used in the homeless shelter, the disciplines and principles that are used inside of our homes. We save the taxpayer $44.50 a day for each person that's not in jail. That's over $2,100 a day we get to save our country. We're self-funded. How did that happen? Because an old man never quit and invested in me. He walked by faith. I walked by faith. Jesus says, God, I chose him. Say, preacher, God doesn't use people with a criminal record, tattoos. I don't know what Bible you're reading. Because in my Bible, there was a man in the tombs that was possessed with thousands of demons, in my opinion. And God used him to be a traveling evangelist. <laughs> God stopped the woman at the well that had five or more relationships and called. She came back from Samaria with a harvest. His disciples came back with a happy meal. He used five rag. He, he used 11 ragtag hillbillies from Galilee. Now, I don't know if there's any hillbillies in here. I do know why I'm in Texas. Amen. God can use hillbillies. We need to be excited about that. Praise the Lord. The third thing is this, and I'm closing. You never know what God will do with one person who gets uncomfortable. When I read the Bible, I could not wait to meet the church. The people in the Bible I met, the church, they met daily. They were one accord, one mind. Nothing they had was their own. They laid their gifts at the apostles' feet. No one had a need. They went, guess what they did? They visited each other's homes. They broke bread. I thought, I can't wait to meet these people. They love each other. So I get out of prison. I'm in a hillbilly town in the middle of nowhere, and I call this van number to come get me. I got my pookie shoes on and my prison Bible, my hand-me-down clothes, and I hear the tires crunching in this van coming up the hill to come get me in Cuba, Missouri. And I got on the van, in the van with this little old lady, and she was the only one on there, and she was terrified of me, and I was terrified of her, and now we're scared of each other. I'm in the back of the van thinking something's going to happen to me. I, I go to the church, and I'm afraid they're going to dunk me in the holy water. I didn't, know, I didn't know what was going to happen. The way they looked at me, held their purses. When I went to Springfield, Missouri, I used to wear my one turtleneck to church every Sunday. And they'd say, why do you wear a turtleneck? It's 80 degrees outside. And I'd say, I like turtlenecks. <laughs> I was ashamed of my past, my tattoos. I was uncomfortable. They said, how are you ever going to preach if, if you don't talk to people? I was scared of church people. Church people freaked me out. I thought, man, they're going to find out how messed up I am. They're not going to accept me. But guess what? I find out church people are really messed up people. Amen. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Where would the Apostle Paul be without Ananias? Where would you be if somebody didn't get uncomfortable and invest in your life? See, Paul was being placed in one uncomfortable position after another uncomfortable position. That's why his ministry was so powerful. I would encourage you every day to open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and listen to Paul's testimony. We read that as a family this morning as we sat in our air-conditioned hotel room with the van outside that starts when I turn the key. He was beaten. 195 lashes on his back. He was shipwrecked. He was in dangers constantly with no 911 in the first century context. That's why God used him. 
And the last thing I'm going to say is God is sovereign. He's sovereign. Listen to me. You guys are about to kick off a discipleship ministry. While God is working on Saul, he's working on Ananias. While God is working on you, he's working on someone else. I went to prison and got saved. I thought Christianity was like a country song played backwards. Now, I know you guys know country music. I'm in Texas, amen? What happens in a country song? You lose your car, you lose your wife, you lose your house, you lose your job, your dog gets run over by a reindeer or something like that. So if you play a country song backwards, what happens? You get your car back, your wife back, your dog back, your job back, your truck back, everything. You're swinging on the porch, you know what I'm talking about? So I thought, man, I, 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 I'm saved. I give my life to Jesus. I'm praying. I'm witnessing. I'm trying to walk holy and sanctified, learning how to grow in the Lord. And, 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 and so I go to church. I'm at church every time the doors are open in prison. And they had two church services. One was a Catholic mass and one was a non-denomination service in the back. And, 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 and you would, the people in the back were the ones that would go from housing unit to housing unit. They were serious. And then the Catholic mass, all the homeboys would get out of the prison their, their units and they would meet together and change notes and whatever else they did. Catholic mass would be let out and then, and then non-denomination would be let out. And I was the guy that bugged the pastor. I would meet the pastor at the beginning and I would ask him to pray for me for the same thing every single time. I need somebody to ride. I need a church outside of this prison. I'm not going back to where I'm from. If I have to go to a halfway house in the middle of St. Louis, Missouri, I'll do it. I want a real Christian, a church member, somebody who can help me understand the Bible. What's the book of Jasher? Who saw, who wrote the book of John? Was it John the Baptist? I don't know. He prayed for me. And then one day at the end of the service, as I left, I was walking outside of the gym after he prayed that I would find someone to write me. I found a note. I picked it up. It was on the sidewalk. Guess what it said? It was the address to a church. I'm not going to say what church. And I thought, Praise the Lord. And so I ran back into the chapel I, out of bounds. I really shouldn't have done it. I said, look, I found an address to a local church, to a church. This is, this is an answer from, from God. And he was pessimistic, but I had faith. And so I ran back to my prison cell, and I borrowed seven pieces of paper and a pen and a stamp, and I wrote this church a note, seven pages, front and back, because that's how much 50-cent stamp would get you from prison. And, and I told him the whole story about how I was walking with God, got saved, want to start my life over, all this stuff. And I sent the little note with it, and I, uh, the address with it, and I sent it back. And guess what happened? They never wrote me. I went to Bowling Green Prison. My first day in Bowling Green Prison, level four prison in the state of Missouri. I went in the wrong housing unit. I don't know if you've ever been in prison, but you're not supposed to go in the wrong housing unit. So I hit the button and I said, hey, I'm in the wrong housing unit. They said, we're going to come and help you. They did. They put handcuffs on me. And they took me to a place called The Hole. Now I'm walking thinking, where's my country song played backwards? Right? I'm in shackles and handcuffs. I'm thinking, God, this ain't supposed to happen. And as I walk to The Hole, they have a blow-up of my picture. They put it above another guy's blow-up. And they say, my name, John Stroop. They open the chuck hole and they say, put your hands out of the chuck hole behind your back and these big old mammoth hands come out woof and I'm thinking who is in the cell they handcuff this guy and they tell him to go to the back of the cell and then I walk in there and there's a giant Mr. Rogers from Mr. Rogers neighborhood I don't know if you guys know who that is or not but I'm like this and he's like that and he said did I hear your name is John Stroop from Fulton Missouri I said I was in Fulton Missouri my name is John Stroop and he said what a pleasure it is to have a messenger of God in here with me today. And I thought, giant Mr. Rogers is crazy. 
So I got to get my handcuffs off before giant Mr. Rogers gets his handcuffs off. And so I'm right by the chuck hole. They opened that chuck hole up again. First thing I did was put my hands out of the chuck hole. And he put his hands out of the chuck hole. And he says, let me tell you a story. I'm in here for a life sentence. I might get out. They arrested me for another crime facing another life. I'll never get out if I get, if I get, if I get found guilty. And I'm guilty. I was arraigned and went to my hometown. He said, while I was there, I told God, God, if you're real, you're going to have to show me. You're going to have to show me a real sign. And I don't recommend you doing this, but that's what he did. And he said, if, I, if you don't show me a sign you love me and you're here with me, when I go back to Bowling Green, I'm going to kill myself. He said, on my way out of, Bowl, way out of Troy, Missouri jail, my pastor came to see me. And at the end of the conversation, he said, Robert, do you know a guy named John Stroop? He said, I don't know who John Stroop is. He said, well, he sent us this letter. And he said he found our address on the sidewalk in Fulton Prison. And you're the only one we've ever known from our church to go to that prison. And he said, I have no idea who John Stroop is. He was sent back to Bowling Green Prison. And shortly after that door shut, here comes John Stroop from Fulton, Missouri, into his cell. That's a true story. See, I thought writing that letter was for me. I never heard from that church. Me and Robert sung victory in Jesus for 13 days in that cell. See, that letter wasn't about me. That letter was about him. It grew my faith. Hey, listen, Christianity isn't really about you either. It's about somebody else. The acronym for joy is Jesus first, others second, yourself last. See, what has God moved you to do? What has God placed on your heart? What if one person in this church would be willing to surrender totally over to God to do anything, anytime, any place for Jesus?